This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, I'm Giles Brownruth. Thank you for being whatever you are. I'm here with another episode of Rosebud, my new podcast about first memories and first experiences. And this is quite a moment in the history of podcasting, because before I introduce today's guest, it's time for the first ever Rosebud mailbag. Yes, we're getting correspondence. We've had a number of emails, but I was particularly taken by this one from Linda Aaron, who says, My first memories out of Saturday afternoons going to the market with my dad. He'd buy lots of prizes for us, and then we'd go home, and he'd use them in a spectacular game of Take Your Pick, where he'd take Michael Miles' role as compare, just one of so very many wonderful childhood memories. We've had lots of other emails from people saying they're loving the show so far, so keep listening. Thank you very much. Keep emailing. We do love hearing from you. We're hoping to build up an archive of your first memories, so please write to us simply at hello at rosebudpodcast.com. Hello at rosebudpodcast.com. In this week's episode of Rosebud, I'm talking to a really good friend of mine. She's called Alison Hammond. She's famous as a TV presenter. When she did the Big Brother house back, well, more than 20 years ago, 2002, she was spotted by a This Morning producer on ITV, and she's been presenting on that show ever since. And that's where I meet her on a regular basis. Now, she also fronts Bake Off. So I know her well. We love each other. We laugh a lot together. I asked if she'd do Rosebud. And then I told her it was a podcast. She said, oh, I don't do podcasts. I overshare. Can't do podcasts. I said, well, overshare with me. And I think she got the idea straight away because we actually recorded this sitting on Alison's king-size bed in a hotel room in West London. <laughs> we talked about meeting her namesake, Muhammad Ali. Three times I met Muhammad Ali and he was like in his shorts and no tarp and his robe. Her mum's amazing jamlish parties. And when I say jamlish, I mean Jamaican, English food, which was amazing. And her love of Chinese takeaway. At Christmas time, he used to ask my mum, do you think Santa will bring me a Chinese meal? And she was <laughs> like, I'm sure he will. And lo and behold, Christmas Day, Santa, he brought me spare ribs. But much, much more as well. We didn't just plump up the pillows and have fun. I think we got a bit deeper than that. Well, I hope you agree. Anyway, what was Alison Hammond's first memory? And what do you make of her now? Well, Alison, this is very exciting for me. <laughs> We're laughing. I haven't started yet. <laughs> now, look, the I, first... Yes, do you want to say something? I just can't believe that you're in my bedroom. <laughs> it was always going to happen, wasn't it? Do you know it? <laughs> it was? I can't believe it either. <laughs> the people listening to this, you must know that in life, dreams can eventually come true. <laughs> it, it may take a while. Um... Anyway, it's quite exciting. And this is my dream to be doing a podcast with the one and only Giles Brandreth. Uh, well, I work with you all the time. The thing is, I work with you all the time. I didn't realise you even had a podcast. Well, there you are. 
What this podcast is all about is going back to firsts. And I want you, seriously, to give me your first memory, the first thing you know in your head you can visualise from your whole life, your very first memory. What a brilliant question. The very... I can't believe I even remember this memory. But the very first memory was in hospital. And it was of um, quite a few... Um, men in white coats holding me down because I was literally kicking off because I didn't like to be touched or anything and what had happened was my mum had trapped my arm in my pushchair by accident and they took me to hospital and what they were actually doing was they were checking to see if I had any bruises on my body to see if my mum had been abusing me and I remember that vividly like it was yesterday that that I suppose because it was traumatic they were holding me down looking at my body to see whether or not I'd I'd got bruises over me. Well, let's set the scene for that. Where was this hospital? Who was your mum at the time? My mum was Maria. She's no longer with us. But my mum was Maria, and she was pushing me in the pushchair. I don't know what happened, but my arm got trapped in the pushchair. And so she took me to hospital. Where was this? Um, It was in Birmingham. We lived in a place called Neachels. And, uh, yeah, I was 18 months old. So I, I remembered that far. Well, let me go even further back. Tell me about your mum. Tell me about your conception. (laughs) Well, it was a wonderful day. (laughs) It was 1975. 5th of February, 1975. So you were conceived in 1974? Oh, yes, I was. Yeah, Yeah, 1974. I was conceived. Who was Maria and who was your dad? So my dad was um, a lovely man called Cliff. I think it was Clifford, actually, on his birth certificate. And he um, was in town. He was at the casino. My mum was working at the casino. And he had gone in to put some bets on. And he quite liked the look of the cashier, which was my mum. And he gave her a little chip. And that chip was worth about £50 at the time. And my mum was like, hello. That's a nice, that's a nice amount. And they started dating. And then hence, Alison was created. Well done. Yeah. Well, give me some more background on these two. Maria sounds a lovely lady. From, She's wonderful. And what was her story? Where did she, where was she born? She was born in St Anne's in Jamaica. Oh, I know St Anne's. Yeah. One of my favourite parishes. It's beautiful. Really? Mm. It's beautiful, Jamaica, in full yeah. stop. But she was kind of, her mum came to England without my mum and left my mum with her grandmother. So she came to England to start a life and then hopefully send for my mom. But she never sent for my mom in the end. She got married and then she had another two children. But my mom was left behind in Jamaica with her grandma. She left school when she was 15 and then she came to Birmingham to live with my auntie Mavis. And it was her auntie Mavis who kind of taught her how to be a lady, taught her how to um, cook, clean, keep herself nice and clean as well learned to how to sew and basically made her a lady in Birmingham and said she stayed in Birmingham and that's the reason why I'm in Birmingham. And she had lots of jobs then if she left school quite My young. My mum had loads of jobs. She, I can remember her telling me she worked in an ice cream factory. Uh, she lost that job because she got into a fight because there was another girl who didn't like her hair. She worked as an auxiliary nurse. She worked as a Tupperware manager. Now, when I say my mum went to the top of the tree in Tupperware, she was like the best-selling Tupperware manager you ever came across. Um, And she won a trip to Disney. 
she won a car. I can remember she had won a car. She hadn't even got a driving license, so she used to drive this car around, and she hadn't got a driving license. She was so, naughty, but she was a bit of a rogue. My mum, a bit of a rogue, but also very positive. Very positive. Yeah, you get that impression. Hustler as well, because she was a Ooh. single mum. She's a single mum, so she had to like provide. <laughs> she never claimed any um, anything from the government or anything like that. She always worked. She was a single mum because Clifford Hammond. Yes. Was not somebody who stayed around too long. No. I mean, he he was in the casino. He had the £50 chip. Yeah. And uh, and then off he went. He used to go back and forth to Jamaica and come back. And then when he used to come back, he used to say, hi, how you doing? And uh, he possibly had another wife or maybe more no, than one did. in the he background. He did have another wife. Oh, he did, did he? Yeah, he did have another wife. And he was having a baby at the same time as me because I've got a brother who's exactly like two months in between us. Well... Well, well, I was going to say, well done him, but certainly a lively character. He's and a Jamaican base. Is that what happens with some well, people from Jamaica? You know, it's uh, you know they they like they, they like the ladies. Oh well, and yeah. enthusiastic. And how was he earning? His, how was he affording to be in the casino? Was he a bit of a gambler? Was he did he Im- do a little bit of importing? I think he did of- loads of stuff. I think he did. He worked like he did stuff in the tip. I think he did importing and stuff like that. And Fans, he, I don't. I didn't really go deep into my father. Really, it was probably all about wise. My mom. Yeah, uh, not to go <laughs> too deep lot. into the importing business. Yeah. I think, yeah, I didn't really get involved with him. Like, it was more, I was obsessed with my mum. I just think, thought she was amazing. I'm an amazing woman. So you didn't really see much of him when you were at the Not very much, no. Uh, but I you, did see him. Can you remember your f- the first time you set eyes on your father? No. Ah. What, the very first time? Yes, well, because if he wasn't living at home with you, it would have been... I can't, I can't recollect. All I can remember is he used to come, and every time he used to come, We'd always have Chinese, spare ribs and fried rice. Because my mother was born in India and her father was in the Indian Army as a British officer in the Indian Army. And my mother was born at the beginning of the First World War and he'd gone off to Europe to be in the war. So by the time he came back, my mother didn't know what he would look like. And she did recall being on the veranda doing a jigsaw puzzle and this very good-looking young man arrived... And she thought, oh, he's rather good looking, and was amazed to find that it was her father. Really? Because she'd never not seen him. No, he was. He looked just like me, so I knew who my dad was. As soon as he, I saw him, he had those big bushy eyebrows. He was a big man. He had a l- massive presence. He used to always sing Elvis songs. So I definitely knew who he was every time he came. Was he the person who was the friend of Muhammad Ali? Yeah. So also. How did that happen? So he just, like, made friends with Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali asked him to be his bodyguard because he's a big guy. Every time he came to um, England, uh, my dad would come as well to look after because he trusted my dad when he was in England and he said, I want you to look after me. So we used to, like, tour around with him and take care of him whenever he came to England. I mean, is that... That's not the reason you're called Ali Asan. It is. It is. So I've got a brother called Ali. I've got a sister called Elisa. I'm called Alison. He was obsessed with Muhammad Ali. Well, I would be. He was I mean, really obsessed with him. He loved him to bits. And did you meet Muhammad Ali? I did. Three times I met Muhammad Ali. The first time I met him in Birmingham at the Odeon Cinema. He was doing some sort of press call. And he was like in his shorts and no top and his robe with Muhammad Ali on the back. And he grabbed me from my dad and placed me on his lap. 
and was cuddling me. And I can remember being really, really young and literally pulling away from this man as if to say, well, can you stop touching me, please? Yeah. <laughs> and you can see in the pictures me pulling away thinking, what are you doing? God. But he was cuddling me. At the time, I just didn't know what a, an well, amazing at the time, icon he was. probably he was. the most famous person in the world. Almost. Oh, he's huge. He was absolutely huge. And the weirdest thing was that Muhammad Ali and my dad really looked like brothers. And the reason why he was like brought me out of the audience was because apparently I looked just like his daughter so he was really taken with me and I was in the papers that day that day it went straight into the Birmingham Evening Mail so that was the first time you were in the papers yeah and I just didn't understand why why am I in the paper and did your mother have obviously she had the relationship with Clifford did she have other boyfriends did she have other did she have another husband in time she'd have another husband before my dad oh so I've got another brother and sister who we were brought up, I was brought up with, and I don't see them as half brother and sister. I even hate saying the word half because I see them as my real brother and sister fully. And your mother's first husband, was he around when you were a little girl? Did you remember him much? No, I don't remember. I remember him coming to collect his uh, son and daughter and taking them off on little day trips, but I was always left behind. And I think that's the, one of the reasons why my mom would like really um, pamper me and spoil me because I didn't have my dad around. So I was kind of like the sport one. She was trying to make up for it in a way. Probably, yeah. I, I mean, do did feel she like... Feel, did she feel guilty I, about it? Or? When I reflect on it, I do feel like she just wanted to give me everything that I ever wanted because she felt guilty that my dad wasn't around. Did you have, when you were growing up, a male role model of any kind? Uh, it was probably um, my Uncle Percy, who I absolutely adored. He smoked a lot. But he, he used to he used to smoke and eat Wrigley's chewing gum, and I'll never forget the smell of him. I used to hug him and kiss him, and I could smell that Wrigley's and the cigarettes. And he was one of the kindest men ever. And I used always used to say to my mom, "Why don't you marry Uncle Percy? He's so so lovely." But it wasn't that sort of relation. He was a lot older than my mom, and it was more like um, a father figure for her, really. But he was lovely. Uncle Percy was great. So your first recollection of your first home was it in this high rise? Block. I don't remember being that. there because I was literally there for one year and then my mum got a council house. So my recollection, she got a brand new council house, uh, which was amazing. And we had a garden front and back. Was this possibly the result of you being born? Because by then she had it three children. Had, God, you're I mean, so clever, Well, no, you? I remember this when I was a member of Parliament. Um, yeah, Because I was an MP right. in the 1990s. Um, you were, became eligible you know, for a better accommodation, the more children you had. So she had two children. She had a two-bedroom flat. Yeah. So she became eligible for a house. And, yeah, you're right. She got a, a house in King Standing. Mm. Uh, and it was, like, to my mum, it was, like, the most amount. It was a palace. It was, like, beautiful. I actually went back to that house recently because um, I was doing, like, a... I was doing something with Rylan. Mm. And we were, like, memorising. I can never say that word. Well, remembering. Is it not memorising? No, no, I don't think so. Uh, Memorising would be to remember something. Reminiscing is the Reminiscing. word. Reminiscing. Reminiscing. What did I just say? Uh, Memorising. Memorising. <laughs> Memorising. But why not? Because words can be invented. We, all... we were going through memories, and I took Ryland back to my first home, and it was lovely to just go back. I couldn't believe how small it was, because I just remember it's being huge, but obviously I was a lot smaller, wasn't I? Can you remember your first bedroom? You did you have yes. a bedroom on your own? No, I didn't. I shared it with my sister, but I loved it. What picture? It was a really long, it. long bedroom. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I really remember is it had a window, but it had these vents. 
And if you listened at the vents, you could hear what was going on downstairs. So you could hear conversations. Uh, so my mum used to love a party. Like everyone used to come round for my mum's jamlish party. And when I say jamlish, I mean Jamaican English food, which was amazing. And, uh, but I never used to want to, my mum would say, it's bedtime now, eight o'clock, off to bed. But I used to just like listen at the vents so I could hear what was going on. I had FOMO at that age. I wanted to know what's going on. Fear of missing out. Yeah, me. fear of missing out. So I'd like listen at the vents until I fell asleep and I, my mum would find me on the floor sleeping and then put me into bed. I went through a bad patch of listening at doors. Did you? Yes. <laughs> and I, not that long ago, I was in a hotel in, of all places, the Isle of Man. What, was this last week? <laughs> oh, no, no, it was a year or two ago. And I, I felt quite lonely. But in the next door room, there was sort of clearly exciting things were happening. And it's rather embarrassing to tell you this. I found a, a glass... And oh, it, stop and it. And it really works. And I put the, I, I put the glass to the wall mm. uh, and put my ear to the bottom of the glass and it amplified the oil. And it was, it was quite rude. What, and you was listening I to was, what? What I were was, they doing? Well, they were doing, uh, they, they were doing it. The point so is, they were doing it. So you were doing a bit of rumpy-pumpy, Giles. Rumpy-pumpy. Well, I was listening at first to the, <laughs> the, the dialogue leading up to the rumpy-pumpy. Uh, and then I did feel a bit shamefaced. <laughs> but you couldn't stop listening. Well, I have to say, I was a bit hooked. <laughs> I, I haven't done it since. I didn't realise it was probably wrong. Uh, uh, but we have this in common. So, you yeah. had your ear to the vent. And did you hear anything interesting going on? Not really. Just uh, partying, like, like they're having parties. And another thing I remember, my mum was really against smoking. And I just didn't understand it. Whenever, like, like people came to the house, she allowed them to smoke in the house. I was like, it's like one rule for one and one rule for the other. Yeah. So she was really against it. Or she didn't also didn't like if you came in with your shoes on. She'd look at your shoes until you took them off. She'd make you feel so uncomfortable. You'd be like, okay, I think it's time for te- me to take my shoes off. She'd just look at your shoes like that. So in some ways, she's a traditional uh, Jamaican mother. Yeah. She's good-hearted, a great cook. Yeah. Doing lots of Jamaican food, ackee and all that for breakfast. All the time. But I wasn't into it as a child. I love it now, as an ah, adult. because as a child, you were simply a Birmingham I'm like, child. why are you cooking that? <laughs> Let's have some nuggets. <laughs> Hello, it's Giles here, and I'm excited to tell you that this series of Rosebud is sponsored by my favourite hotel in the world, the J.W. Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel on London's Park Lane. In fact, right now, I'm talking to you directly from the famous great room at the hotel. It's vast and very beautiful. And this room is full of history. Before the great room was a banqueting hall, it was an ice rink, home to the Park Lane Ice Club, where, as a girl in the 1930s, the future Queen Elizabeth II learnt to skate. But history is not the only thing the Grosvenor House Hotel has to offer. It's one of the finest hotels in London and one of my number one places to be. You might find me sipping a cup of Earl Grey or watching the world go by from one of the sumptuous sofas in the park room or hosting an awards ceremony in this very room. But the thing I love most about the hotel is the incredible warm and genuine welcome they give to every single person who comes through the door. We're delighted that the J.W. Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel are supporting this series of Rosebud. Do make sure you book with them next time you want a five-star experience in London town. So, here you are, this little girl. Can you remember your first school? 
Yeah, I remember my first school, Warren Farm School in King's Standing. I remember my my first friend, Marie Jenkins. Never seen her for a long time. I don't know what's happened to Marie Jenkins. Why was she your friend? She just she just was really lovely, just a nice, nice person. And what was the first subject you liked at school? Uh, I loved PE because I was really naturally gifted at doing sports. I know it sounds weird. Well, it doesn't. You come I don't look like a sporty person, your, but I was really good at hitting balls. Your grandmother came from St Anne's, which is where I think Usain Bolt comes from. Oh, really? I once met Usain Bolt's auntie. Oh, right. And she told me that she could run faster than Usain. Really? Yeah, and she had done. Uh, wow. It's interesting. She said she couldn't bear the way he was getting all this, natural. Pu- all this publicity. She was quite <laughs> cross that her nephew was sort of the, the fastest runner in the world. That's so, so funny. So could you have been an athlete? I mean, did, when you were a little girl, do you think, hmm, what, what were you good at? I was always quite a big girl, so I don't think I would have been an athlete, but I was just really good at, but like, anything to do with, like, if we did rounders, I, they'd always put me on the bat because I would slog it. And they'd be like, slog it, Alison. And it would go for miles. Were you liked by the other children? You were, I mean, I imagine you were. I think I was. I was was definitely liked. Um, I didn't really get picked on at all. Um, Another experience I remember is um, the guy next door, one of the kids next door, set their house on fire, was playing with matches underneath the bed and set the mattress on fire and their house went up. But it was literally next door to my... My house, and all I can remember is the fire brigade coming to our house saying you need to evacuate. And we went out and we went round to our neighbour's house across the road. And apparently my mum came round the corner, drove round the corner and saw the, and saw the house on fire and thought it was her house. Oh, my God. And she, uh, all her kids were in the house oh in her head. So I suppose that was quite a bad experience. Was my mum was experience. really shaken. Your mother clearly was a very positive and respectable person. Yeah. But living in a part of the world where some of the people that she knew, and clearly uh, Clifford, your dad, uh, went f- flew quite close to the wind, didn't he, with some of his activities. I get that impression. Yeah. Um, uh, how did she cope with that? And were you aware of that? that my mum were... was completely and utterly in love with my dad. Ah. Yeah. She just thought the world of him. So he could do no wrong. Even he went back to his own she, wife, his even, own children. Even when, Well, she didn't know about that at first, oh. but then by the time she knew about it, she was having a baby and she was in love with him. Oh. And also, she, um, even like when she got married again, she would always speak about my dad, which was quite interesting. So that was definitely... So Clifford was the love of her that, life. He was definitely the Even love. if somebody else came along who exactly. was serviceable as And then husband. she had a child who looked like Clifford, so she, there was always that doting oh. element. My mum, I could do nothing wrong, even when I was doing wrong. <laughs> when did she die, your mother? She died in 2020. It was oh. so sudden. Well, she was hardly been very In old. 2019, she uh, just couldn't keep food down. Oh, no. And I just thought, there's something wrong here. And we were going on a Disney cruise. And I said, Mum, I think we should leave this Disney cruise. I, th- I don't think we should go on it. She went, no, no, no. She really, w- she loved a cruise. Mm. And she went, no, 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 let's go on the cruise. Anyway, on the cruise, she just couldn't keep anything down, even soup. And she we was spending most of the time in her cabin. And after the, we got to the cruise, I said, Mum, I, I just feel like we should go home early. She was like, no, we're going to enjoy this holiday. We're having a lovely time. Don't worry about it. I'm just a bit tired. And I, could, and I phoned my sister and I said, Mum's not, not right. She's not holding down any food or anything. 
I think we should um, go to the hospital as soon as we come back. She says, as soon as you get back, we'll take her to the hospital. She didn't want to go. And we went to the hospital. They did the scan and lo and behold, her liver was absolutely covered in cancer. And I had this feeling anyway. But what they age said, was she? She oh. was 70. And she died so when she was 71. Now, by today's standards. Yeah. But she um, lasted three months from that diagnosis, three months. There oh. was nothing, it was too far gone, stage four. Oh. And she died in the January. Luckily, it wasn't in the time of COVID. Because I don't know how I would have coped with that, you know, when you couldn't mm. go to the hospitals mm. and stuff like that. So it was just before COVID. So we gave her the most beautiful funeral. It was gorgeous. Even Eamon Holmes came to that, actually. Well, um, he did a speech because my mum was obsessed with Eamon Holmes and I asked him if he'd come. And he did a speech, came to the funeral, which was lovely. Um, she had a choir who sang. Her casket was white. It she was, was God-fearing, wasn't she? I mean, Definitely her, God-fearing. We that, buried her with her Bible, actually. Oh, bless her. She used to read her Bible every single night. Um, she used to go to church every week. I mean, that kept her going. That was yeah. the line of life that kept her going. I mean, I remember when we were on this morning, some time ago now, but we were talking about Philip Schofield and all that, and you rightly said on air, because the programme is live, we were talking about you know, what had happened, and you quoted the Bible. You said your, the line of your mm. mother, you know. She used to let, say... Let him was without sin cast the first stone. Yeah. That was it. She had all these sayings at her fingertips. Yeah. She? Well, she read the Bible all the time. She was very into it. And she used to speak it to us as well and, and use it to, if we had any problems, she'd use it and give us a, a learning from it sort of thing. But yeah, she was buried with her Bible. And... Um, we on um, the reception actually we made a Bible cake. It was oh it was like a goodness. wedding, honestly. It was the most beautiful funeral you've oh, ever wonderful. been to. We had photos of her in the in the place. But the, the weirdest thing was she got on really well with her pastor, Pastor Jeff Nicholson. Lovely man. They really got on really well. And when she was dying in the hospital, he was late. And he was trying to he was fighting traffic to get to my mum and she you know what? She hung on. Oh, until he and arrived. as soon as he got there. She died. Oh. It was literally within two minutes of his arrival. He said, I'm here now, Maria. Yes. And he prayed for her. Don't worry, you can go now. Oh. And he said that. And as he said it, she, she passed. She waited for him. Oh, bless yeah. her. And for, from her point of view, in a sense, she's going to heaven. So it was the end of one journey. Oh, yeah, she's definitely one. in heaven. She's such a good woman, honestly. She, you never heard her say anything bad about anyone. And even if someone was bad, she'd see the positive mm. from in that person. It was lovely. She was just a love, and she had a lovely voice. Like it wasn't like mine, this Brummy accent. It was just be it was just really articulate, beautiful voice. And then when she got to know you, she'd slip into those lovely Jamaican tones. Mm. But it was beautiful. You could hear her voice. I can hear it now and just remember how lovely it was. Given she was so important to you and loved you so much, mm. uh, and spoiled you as a result of it made you feel warm and loved all your life. Did you find her death very uncomfortable? I'm obviously tragic, but some people, I know I, the, twice in my life I've been discombobulated, and both times it was in the, the year or two after the death of each of my parents. Yeah, it, it really threw me. I was really shocked. Because I've never really lost anyone that close to me, to be honest with you. Never lost anyone that close that has affected me in such a big way because I would speak to my mum every single day you know I'd even see the time the days off I would always go and see my mum my son was really close to her 
she helped me, you know, obviously I worked when I had Aiden. She was the one who was there, who was helping me with Aiden. So, you know. Go back to school now. Um, you go to next, what's your next school? Oh, that's a lovely school. It was um, Cardinal Wiseman Roman Catholic School, oh. which was interesting. Yes. Yeah, lovely school. That was, a, that was the weirdest thing. I loved going to school. I had so much fun. Who was your first crush? Who did you first fall for? Oh, first crush. Stephen Gormley. He wasn't interested in me at all. Oh. Uh, but he used to walk home with me. He used to walk the same way home. And I used to love those moments. I just wish I lived further so I could spend more time with him. I don't know why I was in love with him. He's just very good looking. Well, that's a start, isn't it? <laughs> He's very good looking and he was kind. Oh, well, and then. we used to walk home together and that was it. And was he aware of your affection? Um, I don't think so. He's now, though, if he's listening to this. <laughs> well, maybe, he's maybe now. He'll get in touch. Could be a bit late. <laughs> you might be throwing his man. You might be throwing a Nothing happy man's happened, manager to Tom But off. I used to dream about him often. Oh, oh, that's nice. So who was the first boyfriend who reciprocated, or the first crush where it was a reciprocal relationship? Um, so my first kiss was oh. when I was 14. Oh. That was at the Midlands Art Centre. I remember it well. Um, a man called Seth. I changed the, his name in the book, though, to hide his identity, but I'm just letting it out now. Yeah, come on. His wife knows about it, so it's all good. He wasn't married at the time. No, he wasn't, no, exactly. But, but given the family you come from, <laughs> and given what your dad was up to, I mean, you would have had to forgive him. So tell me about Seth. It's a nice name, Seth. Um, so we were in a drama club. Great. I used to go, my mum encouraged me to go to this drama club. I got in, had to audition for it. I actually finally got in. And when I was 14, we just, I just, it's not, it's not the most romantic of places. I just went into the toilets and he was in there and he just came over and kissed my face. And it was the first time that I'd ever experienced anything like it, like an open mouth kiss. I was like, this is fantastic. Why have I never done this before? It was wonderful, but it never happened again. He never spoke to me again. I was devastated. It was a one-off snog. <laughs> I was he... used. <laughs> he used me. <laughs> and then I was like looking forward to the next time and he just ignored me. Can I say? I think he did it to everyone. No. In fairness to Seth, I think he realised this couldn't be beaten. This was the ultimate experience. And he couldn't bear to repeat it in case that was I didn't. my first kiss. I'll never forget it. It's never been kiss. the same since. No, I bet it hasn't. <laughs> Great new experience. How exciting. Yeah. How long did it last? A few seconds? I think it went on. It felt oh. like it went on for an hour. Oh, it was a proper snog. Oh, it was a real... Well done, Seth. Well done. It probably was only two minutes, Can but I in my head. The mistake you made is you gave him too much too soon. <laughs> is have, that what it is? He'd have come back for more. I if didn't you know just... what he was doing. He just came from my face and then he started kissing me. I was I, like, had, had he introduced he's... himself? Well, I knew who Seth was. Yes. I knew him because I used to... Did he say, oh, Alison, other... I fancy you, no, or I love you, or... just went straight in. Get straight in. And I was like, what's going on here? But then I was like, I quite like this. Yeah, a man and of action. carried on. Was he in the I same... I was hoping for some more, though. I didn't get any more. Was he the same year as you at school? I think he was, yeah, he was. But obviously, in the drama club, like, obviously, I think he might have done it to a few other oh. girls. I, I think I heard some know? things on the grapevine that he liked others. Men, they're all the same, <laughs> as my wife would be saying at this point. So, who was your first proper boyfriend? Oh, this is very in-depth, this is, isn't well, no, it? I'm just, not sure this is going to be on first. Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> You've got me, haven't you? We'll, you charge, we'll charge the Daily talk Mail about and this. split the... But who was the first? Who was the first proper boyfriend? I can't do it! 
Uh, probably, uh, I. it wasn't really, oh, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> you don't need to name names. I don't remember. And put back the, oh, she's produced a photograph uh, album. <laughs> oh, it can't be. He's a looker. There he is, yeah. That's so him. how old were you, though, when you had your first proper boyfriend? 21. Quite oh, I see. So at school, it was just yeah. casual friendships. No like wanted, this. nobody wanted my juice, babes. Nobody wanted it until I was twenty-one. But how interesting! Very interesting. Well, it is interesting because you were in the drama group. You were clearly very lively. You were very sporty. Yeah. So you were obviously right fit. But apart from Seth, well, there was nobody coming on to you <laughs> no. from the age of fourteen to the age, the seven lean years. I think they talk about <laughs> it in the Bible, don't they? The seven years it of was, famine. It was total famine back. <laughs> Back in those days, honestly, I mean, there was a couple of like other kisses. Yeah, but they but weren't. But nothing like really. You said, you're, you're not up to Seth. <laughs> Push them away. Nothing matched Seth. No. To be honest with you, nothing. <laughs> nothing he spoiled you for other men. Compared. <laughs> <laughs> and still, that's the. I hope Seth will get in touch because even if Alison doesn't want to <laughs> meet you anymore, what, I know what, quite a few people who'd like to. What I've realised in my life is I am basically a foster pet, foster like girlfriend. I'm like a foster girlfriend. Oh. So until I look after people until they find their forever home. <laughs> <laughs> they come to me I'm their girlfriend for a bit and then they find their forever home with somebody oh. else so that's what I've realised I'm 48 now and that's what I am I'm a foster girlfriend by the time you're 21 though you've left school what age do you leave, leave school do you take A-levels so um, yeah some... I did some A-levels and um, I did quite well I, I dropped out of biology I loved biology oh. at GCSE because I had the most wonderful teacher who actually died of uh, lung cancer oh. she was a smoker as well um it's interesting yeah a science teacher must have known that smoking i know would kill her. and she was lovely you know what was she One called give her credit miss miss coleman oh. and she allowed me to do the tuck shop as well she was also head of year so she allowed me to do the tuck shop which i absolutely loved that job i was a prefect i looked after the tuck shop but she made biology so interesting i've never enjoyed a lesson as much as Miss Coleman. She was brilliant. And then I thought, well, I'm good at this. Because mm. I think I got a grade B. I was like, I'm good at this. So I went and did it A-level. It's the hardest thing ever. Did you think you might be a doctor? Was that your plan? No, you not at all. I just really enjoyed biology. Yeah. I think the plan... There wasn't a plan. <laughs> this is the truth. There wasn't a plan. I was just enjoying life and... I like to do what I enjoy. But you were clearly popular and you were clearly clever and you were doing well. Um, and you just thought, well, I'm just yeah, running I, free. I loved biology. I loved drama. So I did performing arts, A-level. And then I loved communications. So I did like a, a communication media, A-level, yeah. But I dropped out of that as oh. well. Dropped out of that. I dropped out of biology. So I only had one A-level and that was performing arts. Would you have had to have had a more A-levels to go to a drama school? I mean, did you think of doing that? So I did apply for a drama school. I applied for AURA, Academy of Live and Recorded Arts. And when I went there, the woman said, you do realise we're going to have to modify your accent? And I was like, modify? What does that even mean? They said, because you've got a really brummy accent, so we will have to modify it. And I was like, oh, you mean like RP? And they went, yeah. So I just thought, you know what, I'm not doing that. I'm not modifying my voice. I love my voice. We all love your voice, but can you do RP? Of course I can. Oh, do a little bit of it. I just, do you know, I find it a bit of a turn on. What would you like me to say? Oh, I, I can soften my voice. 
That's charming. It's wonderful, isn't it? Because I can't do a Birmingham accent. Oh, of course can, you can. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> hello. From now, what, what should you say to, really talk, not. to talk Birmingham? All right, Babs. All right, Babs. Hello. It's like, it's like, nose, isn't it? All right, you Babs. Talk, uh, all right, Babs. Oh, how are you? How, how are you? It's a bit of a drone, you? isn't it? Uh, how drone. are you? Drone. 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 I'm sounding like John Lennon now. Drone. Yeah. No, I'm not. I can't do it. I think my, my Birmingham accent's quite nice, though. It's, it's not nice. too in your face, I don't think, anyway. You're such a positive person. Can you probably can't. You probably wiped it from your memory. The first time you were angry. Um, oh, I've been angry a lot of time. Me and my brother used to lock heads all the time. First time I was angry, I think he threw a snowball in my face and I really wanted to just kill him. <laughs> I think I got a shovel and I hit him with the shovel. Yeah, it's quite bad. I was only young. Oh. <laughs> so imagine throwing a snowball in someone's face. Well, I, I think that's what one does with snowballs. Depends how close it is and how strong he was. Yeah, I hit him with a shovel that we was cleaning the snow with. I think <laughs> you had the advantage there. <laughs> could have killed my brother. Yeah, yeah well, you could have done. Do you know what I mean? Given that you're, you actually, you know, apparently looked like Muhammad Ali <laughs> uh, and had his sort of strength, and your poor brother had a different... Did he have the same father? No, he had a different... He had a different daddy. He yeah. has had a different daddy. But he loves me. Yeah, he does. But he might have been a weaker vessel than you. <laughs> Can you remember the first time you felt lonely? Have you ever felt lonely in that sense? Maybe you never have. I absolutely love my own company. I have no problem with being on my own. In fact, I really quite like it. Um, I think that's the reason why I struggle in some relationships, because I don't want someone around me all the time. I actually love being on my own. I'm okay with it. Tell I've me never felt lonely. Tell me briefly about your first husband. When did you, when did you get so married? So a lot of people think I've been married. I've never been married. Oh. Oh, exclusive. Because, because if, you if, you, if you look online, it's like Alison was married to Aidan's dad. I wasn't. Oh. Never. He's, he's, he engaged me, but we never actually you got married. You engaged, but not married. Yeah. So I've never been married. I've dreamt of it. Well, this is nice because that means that you can... Uh, when you do get married... Yeah, if can, I get married. Well, if... I might not want to get you married. You might not, but if it happens, you never know what the future holds. You never know. You can be walking down the aisle. Your mother would like you to have a, a proper church wedding, wouldn't I've she? I've been to so many weddings, though, and I find them... I find them good fun, and I enjoy it when I get there, but the thought of going to the wedding, I go, oh, another mm. wedding. I just don't really get excited about a wedding. So, who is Aidan's father? Who was he? So, that's... Um, you obviously liked him. He's, he's a, oh, he's he's a, a lovely good, guy. He's, he's from artist. Tunisia, actually. So, I went out to Tunisia uh, to do some repping. This was before Big Brother. And I was an entertainer out in Tunisia. Ha I never met anyone when I was in Tunisia. Came back to England and met a Tunisian man, which was bizarre. So, yeah, Aidan's dad was just a lovely guy. He worked in a restaurant and I just really... He had the most beautiful smile and that's what I fell in love with. Lovely. And Aidan's got that smile as well. Wonderful. He's got the most lovely smile. Why did you decide not to marry him? Given I just, that you were engaged and Aidan was born. I just don't, might... I don't feel like we, we were ready for marriage uh, at the time. Do you know young? what I mean? Not really. No, it was the perfect time to get married. I just, I don't think, I think as soon as I hear the word marriage, I get like cold feet. You, I think I'm just one of those people. You are a commitment phobe. I, mean, I think that's what it is. Yeah. I just feel like I'm tied down and I don't like it. When really and truly, like I'm getting to that age now where I just think, Alison, let go. It's okay to settle down. And I always, not always think there's something better, but I always just, I get a bit nervous to like be 
know that that is it. So let's find out how you become famous. What's your first... You're doing a variety of jobs. You're doing this theatre and education. I felt like I was famous before I was famous. Uh, explain that. I understand entirely what you mean. Well, when I used to work in Tunisia, yeah. I used to do shows and, like, all the tourists in the hotel would know who I was. They'd come up to me and go, Alison, Alison. So it's like they wanted photos with me at the time. This is before I was famous because we were the entertainers yeah. of the resort. Everyone wanted a photo with us. And I can remember um, everyone was talking about Big Brother and I didn't even know what it was because I'd been away from home for so long. I was like, what is this big brother? Like, oh, it's just a game show. You can win 70 grand. And at the time, I had a debt of £3,000 because I'd bought a car and I hadn't paid for it. And I was thinking to myself, really love to pay off that debt. I said, how much do you win? They went, £70,000. I went, I'm going to apply. So at the time, I had to go off to this internet cafe, went online, applied, and I got an audition. So I flew back to England, did the audition, went really, really well. And then they phoned me and says, right, from this stage onwards, we want you to come up to London to meet the producers. And uh, I went, all right then. So I went to meet the producers. When we got to London, they'd put us in this back of this blacked out like van. I was thinking, this is a bit weird. <laughs> and within a week, uh, the then producer of the time, Phil Edgar Jones, he phoned mm. me up and he said, right, we're going into Big Brother and we want to choose you to go Big Brother. Are you up for it? And I was like, yeah. Packed all my stuff. And went into the Big Brother house. And from that moment, I, I lasted two weeks. And when I came out, my life changed forever. It's interesting because somebody noticed you, your personality, didn't they? Because you only survived for a couple of weeks. Two weeks, yeah. Uh, and yet you were spotted. Mm. And that's how you came to the notice of this morning. It was somebody on this yeah, morning. Yeah, so one well. producer, his name was Mark, he was watching The Eviction. Never watched Big Brother before, never watched, never liked Big Brother but watched my eviction and watched my interview. And he, he went back to this morning and says, we should get her to do the strand, to do a strand on this morning. She's great. She eats everything. She's so funny. Let's get her on the show. And that was, that was it. I went in there and they said, we'd love you to do this strand. It's a couple of months work. And I was like, oh, brilliant. And that couple of months has led to 21 years. Yeah, the rest is history, as they say. Crazy, isn't it? You mentioned she eats everything. What's the first <laughs> time you became aware that you were somebody who ate everything? <laughs> <laughs> I was always aware. <laughs> I love food. I just love, I love the taste of food. Uh, and I love it more than being slim. Because <laughs> it, it was brought home to you once rather dramatically, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I used to get I used to get food all the time. Like, like even at Christmas time, I used to ask my mum, "Do you think Santa will bring me a Chinese meal?" And she was <laughs> like, "I'm sure he will." And lo and behold, Christmas Day, Santa he brought me spare ribs, uh, chicken fried rice, and prawn crackers on the day. It was cold, but I didn't mind. Santa's the best. He is the best. He is the best. Almost there. What's your first rule in life? Always laugh. A day's wasted without laughter, I say. If I haven't laughed in a day, there's something wrong. Something's and, gone wrong. And do you, are you, do you have faith? Do you, do you go to church like your mum would have liked you I to? I wish I went to church more. And maybe I, I need to go more. And I need to read my Bible more. I don't read it as much as I used to. But yeah, I definitely have faith. In my life, there's definitely a God. Because he's looked after me for so long. And do you have ambitions still that you haven't fulfilled? Do you have a daydream? So many, so many ambitions. Anything you can share with us? Well, I've just filled one, fulfilled one ambition. 
you're in my bedroom. What more do I want? Like, that's well, it. That's a big one. And I'm about to fulfil my... <laughs> What's yours? My bucket list. Not being in your bedroom and then doing something about it. So I think this problem is... We are is doing that, something about it. We, we are. But you can't just talk, can you? There's got to be some action as well. And I, I'm thinking I, Seth is now my new role model. Do you know what? I don't think anyone can match Seth. Ever. That's what you say. You're saying that now, but who knows what you're saying. That's my saying. biggest regret. That is I didn't marry him. You there didn't and marry Seth. Well, I don't think we can beat that. I'm puckering up. <laughs> Here we are. Oh, dear. But of course, at my age, you can see I'm having a coffee fit. Just puckering up. I'm in a state of collapse. Well, Alison, that has been extraordinary. You are wonderful. Thank you, Giles. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. What side is your side, the left or the right? Always on the left. Is that oh, okay? Oh, it's fine by what me. Are you? Always on the right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What about chicken? Are you a breast man or a leg man? Well. <laughs> if we had a whole chicken here and now in this room. Shall we find out? Would we get on? I'll tell you what I get Please for. say you're a breast. Uh, I'm for the parson's nose. <laughs> <laughs> the unusual bits that nobody normally gets at. Yes, I'm absolutely a breast. Oh, because I'm a leg. Oh, We'd so get on. Perfect. We could have a whole chicken. Yeah. You'd have two breasts and I'd have two legs. And because we're not married, we'll have to be innocent about it. <laughs> Do you know about, I've told other people about this thing called bundling. What's a bundle? Well, have you heard of a television chef called Fanny Craddock? <laughs> no, <laughs> but I want to meet them. Before your time. But she was a wonderful uh, female cook. Yeah. First really famous television chef. Picture Mary, picture Mary Berry, yes? Yes. Cross Mary Berry with Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> and you get Fanny Craddock. I love Fanny. She was quite a strong lady. Love her already. And she had a husband called Johnny. Um, and uh, famously, what Johnny and Fanny, Johnny and Fanny, Fanny and Johnny. <laughs> Love uh, this. And famously, at the end of one show, he um, ended the show. He also had the last word. Yeah. And he, after they'd been doing a sort of baking show, he said, "I hope all your uh, donuts turn out like Fanny's." <laughs> <laughs> he was great fun. But she introduced <laughs> me to bundling. Explained to me what used to happen. What's in, a bundle? Basically, we get into bed mm. and we have the duvet in between us. <laughs> So, You're not suggesting you want to do a bundle with me. Well, let's go a bundle. I can't do it, Charles. I'll never be able to look at you again. And you're always on this morning. I won't be able to do it. Oh, there you are. I'll, I'll go bright red. I can't, I can't do it. Thank you for letting me down gently. <laughs> so I think we've wrapped up our bundle. <laughs> bundle now. I shall take. <laughs> pass me the Zimmer frame and I'll be on my way. <laughs> go get his oxygen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I think I'm having cardiac arrest. <laughs> well, I couldn't lie. This is my last broadcast, but it's been my favourite. Oh, what a way to go. <laughs> oh, that was fun. I love talking to Alison. She's a good friend, and I see a lot of her on this morning. But it's rare for us actually to really chat about her life and her past. You can see the incredible influence her loving relationship with her mum has had on her. And that joy, I tell you, shines through whenever you're around Alison. Her laughter, her warmth and her positive energy are contagious. I have to say, I love posy vibes. A massive thanks to Alison, of course, for talking to me. And a very, very big thank you to you for listening. Uh, please like, subscribe. If you enjoyed it, leave us a review. Tell us all about it. Also, suggest some other friends of mine you think it might be fun to hear about their first memories. That's the essence of Rosebud. 
Where do people come from? What do they remember? Where are they going? And why? Rosebud is produced by Harriet Jane, artwork by Freya Betts, and music by Phil Leppard.